When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher here, the host of this podcast, Three Swings, which is a podcast about baseball, but also other things. Many people have told me that. Um, I hope, uh, including some people that were in the audience at the first live Three Swings, which happened at at High Plains Comedy Festival, the High Plains Comedy Festival. I know how to speak. Um, You'll find out why I'm having a difficult time in a minute. Um, I hope you listened to that episode. It was a hell of a lot of fun to record. I'm so grateful to High Plains for having us. It was such a great time. It was was the perfect place to try that out. Um, We had a great time. I had a great time having David Perdue on. Plus the Grolix guys, Adam, Kate, and Holland, Andrew Orvidal, and Ben Roy. It was just a really great time. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And that's the point of this whole podcast. And here's the thing. Baseball is fun. It is also heartbreaking. Now, I started this podcast because I met um, bench coach Brett after doing um, Alice Wetterland's uh, Treks in the City. And then we struck up a conversation about the Dodgers, I believe, and then got into Atlanta. We got into baseball, and then he sent me an email after that that was like, hey, if you ever want to make a baseball podcast, I would love to help you do that. Now, I feel like I've talked about this before, but if there's anything that relates to baseball, it's talking about the same thing over and over again. I mean, that's just what we do in baseball. And I had wanted to make a baseball podcast. It had been something I had thought about. Many people had told me, you should do this. I just had no idea how to approach it. And the way Brett approached me about it was exactly what I needed to get it going. And I'm so grateful that I made it. The first time we tried anything, it was we were just doing like a limited run for the 2017 uh, playoffs, postseason. And I think it might have, yeah... It was the whole postseason, and we called it Likely Mad as Hell, which is a line from the Jason Isbell song that starts off this exact show, uh, Hope the High Road, which is a song about whatever you want it to be about, you know? Um, I think Jason wrote that in response to 2016, but I also like to think that it is eternal, because here's the thing that we've learned, or at least that I've learned, is that this stuff has always been going on. And it doesn't diminish what's going on. It it actually makes it make more sense and makes it that much more real. Is that this isn't some aberration. These are not <laughs> these are not crazy things. 
this is what Watergate was like. This is what the Vietnam War was like. This is what, I don't know, the the vast income inequality in the 1980s was. This is what the 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 Kosovo was. This is what the AIDS crisis was. This is what the civil rights movement in the 60s was. This is what Kent State was. This is what Korea the Korean War was. This is what World War II was. This is what it's all always happening all the time. There we only look back at times and see them as a better time because we're looking back at them because we're looking backwards and we can sterilize it in our minds and we can sort of sand down the edges and we can erode the problems. And we, so in some ways we do that because it's the only way we can survive as human beings. If we looked at all of it all the time, nobody would want to get out of bed in the morning. And I, I'm not sanitizing it. I'm just saying, I'm not speaking about, this is everybody. Every human being does this. It's the, it's the, it's the survival mechanism that is, within privilege because here's the thing about privilege every single human being on the planet has some form of privilege so the thing you must have for any of this to move forward is gratitude and so what i have today (laughs) is gratitude for this podcast and i have gratitude for my friend brett who i would say in baseball terms probably had the worst day of baseball he's ever had yesterday. Now, I wish I could interview Brett today for this podcast, but the timing of it is just not working out. It's something I want to do for a future episode very soon because I don't know that I know anybody who experienced more pure baseball trauma in a 24-hour period than my friend Brett, who is the main reason why I'm even talking on this podcast right now. So, I just want to spend a moment of gratitude uh, for Bench Coach Brett, because not only does he write me amazing notes, not only is he just a tremendously kind human being, he is the reason I'm even talking into this microphone, and he is the reason that you guys are even listening to this. He is the reason that I even care about baseball at this point. Not the only reason, but he's one of them. And, like, Brett is a straight white guy. And, like, we get all hung up in those things, and we look at those things, and I look at those things, and it's something to look at. And Brett is somebody that I know that looks at that. But if we don't have gratitude to someone for what they've done, then then we're never going to get anywhere. Now, I say all this with there being a big internet conversation about uh, a gay white comedian. Um, and I threw my hat in the ring on that. And in some ways I wish I hadn't because I was doing such a good job of not commenting on things like this and just not getting into it and knowing what my beliefs are and not feeling like I had to do that because I've had people in my life go, Oh, that really made you mad. And like, it didn't, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's, it's upsetting, but I'm not like sitting in my apartment fuming about it because it's another person. They get to do whatever the hell they want. But it was a good reminder that, like, when I say things on the internet, people put it through the filter of their own head, and I have no control over that. And, like, I will just say this. Like, it's all... when, When you are a public figure, the things that you do are interpreted. And, like, 
that's just the baseline of it. What if if I was seated in a luxury box at a football game with a former president who in in my own life made it, to make it personal made my life a living hell I, I, it, it, in the amount that it was possible for him to do that to me directly what would i do i i don't know i don't know what i would do because a lot would have had had to have happened for me to be sitting in that seat you know i would like to think that i would say you know what this game isn't for me and i i would leave um but that's all rhetorical, so I don't really know. But I do know that there are compromises that everybody has to make. I've had to make compromises to be able to do this job, to get paid, to survive. I have to fly on planes. That is something that is incredibly bad for the env- environment. Uh, it's something I have to reckon with. So in other places of my life, I try to do the most good. Talked about that a lot. Um, I don't know. And I, I am a person who tries to live by the idea of practicing kindness, practicing openness, um, you know, doing the most good. But that isn't some universal thing that you just, that you just like turn your nose up in the air and go, yeah, I'm being kind. I, I don't know. I just, that's not sitting next to somebody and having a good time in a luxury box during a sport that's really, really a bad vibe. That's not being kind. That's getting whatever. Anyway, um, I just think, you know, we need to, it's also like, it goes back to my earlier point of like shaving the corners off of everything. And I guess as somebody who is 37 years old and who I, I was in my second week of college and and in in my nuclear family, which is defined for me specifically as a mother, an aunt, uh, maternal grandparents, and a dad, um, and then I would also include my paternal grandparents in that scenario. Um, I was the first person to go to college. To go, and I I paid for it. My I'm paying for it now. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that that's the truth. I had a lot of shame about it for a long time. Um, the second week of that college, which I didn't go to some fancy school. I paid what is a lot of money for me to go to a school that's like pretty corrupt at this point. I mean, I, I try to have pride in where I went. There's a lot of good people that teach there. There's a lot of good people that go there. It's produced a lot of good people. But the management of it is pretty corrupt out there. Um, and I, my second week of college, 9-11 happened. The second Tuesday that I went to school, 9-11 happened. So like that, that president, George W. Bush, defined essentially my 20s. You know, like my, my early adulthood was defined by that president and the actions of that president. And like, I just did not think that we would sanitize that time period so quickly, but it happened really quickly. And I feel like there's a move, I don't know, to sort of like hold Obama accountable, which I believe is a real thing, but we're doing it and also sanitizing and like ignoring 
the things that happened from 2000 to 2008, which I just think we can do both, you know? <laughs> it's possible to do both, but, like, I think we forget about Guantanamo. I think we forget about the fact that that president not only was just personally against gay marriage, which I don't... You can be personally against something, but it is not, like, lawfully okay to try to pass laws to fit with your personal religious beliefs, you know? Um, because Obama was personally against it and was politically silent about it, as was Hillary Clinton, until it was politically convenient to say, okay, I'm for this because we're going to pass this thing. Now, am I like, what? I, were there times in my life when I was like, oh, this is, wow, a tears down my face? Absolutely. Ha, do I feel differently about it today? Absolutely. Am I allowed to do that? 100%. However, George W. Bush is a president who stood at a podium with the presidential seal in front of him and said, marriage is between one man and one woman, and was pushing for a constitutional amendment as such, which is a problem, I think, and part of why we nationally had to even push for same-sex marriage equality and focus all of our energy on that and lose sight of some of the other issues as a, as a people. Um, and I think that one thing that I am grateful for is right now, at this moment in life, it feels as though the LGBTQ movement, the gay rights movement, whatever you want to call it, is sort of breaking into two things, which is the old guard of the gays. And when I say the gays, I mean anyone who identifies as gay. Uh, and then the sort of new guard and the new movement, which is queer. And I find myself firmly committed to the new one, which is queer, which is a lot more liberating. And this is, you know, a baseball playoffs podcast, so perhaps I'll get into it a little bit more. But um, I personally identify more with the queer rights movement because to me it's more people, it's more, it's more, it's more. And it's not about mainstreaming and it's not about we're all the same and love is love because I truly feel like this thing that's just happened with this president, love is love, that whole movement, it served its purpose and it's over. When you are telling me love is love and love everybody and you're using this like statement that we use to try to say like, hey, we should be able to get married too if we want to because we're human beings. If you're using that to say like, hey, George W. Bush is love too, you've lost me completely on that. And can I also just say Katrina, how you could not have any sort of comment or anything about that. I was just in New Orleans and thank you to everybody that came out for the New Orleans shows. I was just in New Orleans and I personally, because I do not live there and I don't know anybody really from there, but I got to actually spend time with a couple human beings in New Orleans and I had no idea how much PTSD still exists from Katrina happening. Like, it came up in every conversation. It's a fear on the horizon for every person that still lives there. And that president willfully looked away. Like, do we not even remember George Bush doesn't care about black people? I mean, there's like... I, I can't even scratch the surface of all the things that happened during that time that are just trying to be wiped away. And just like, well, it's so much worse now. Like, no, it's bad now because those things happened. It's bad now because we are refusing to remember it. It's bad now because we would rather just like smile and laugh with each other than have the hard conversations. 
because I am all about being kind about hard conversations. That is what actually has to happen. You can be kind to someone and you can have a difficult conversation about the things we disagree about. And you can come to new understandings and perhaps change each other's minds. That's, to me, how that's supposed to go. That's what that's the way I look at kindness. That is truly the way I look at kindness. And turn the other cheek does not mean... Turn the other cheek means you do not get a benefit from turning the other cheek is ultimately what it is. Turning the other cheek is humility and saying, if this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. And I'm standing here in my truth and it's not going away. Here you go. Here's the other side. So I leave you with those thoughts and we'll get into some some playoff baseball and it's going to get... I have some thoughts on it and I have like front row experience. So we'll be back right after this uh, with the Three Swings Division Series nearly wrap up. All right, we're back, and I I want to start. I want to start with the New York Yankees versus the Minnesota Twins, the AL Division Series number one, which is the Yankees and the Minnesota Twins. The Yankees having the second best record in the AL, and the Minnesota Twins having the third best. Right? Yes, um, that's true. I want to start with that one because it's going to be the. Quickest one. The Yankees win three to nothing. I don't know that anyone is surprised by this. I certainly am not. Um, they have a murderer's row of offense. Um, and uh, despite a great regular season from the Twins, this series was never close. And I fully agree with that. The Yankees, uh, the Yankees swept the series with wins of ten to four, eight to two, and five to one. I am truly sorry for the Minnesota Twins fan base. I wish it would have been more of a fight. I wish they would have showed up. I'm not quite sure what happened. They looked completely lost out there. And, you know, I hadn't been watching that many Twins games. I did have Max Kepler and Nelson Cruz on my fantasy baseball team. And looking at those two guys, they looked pretty good. But here's here's the big story. And here is why... I don't get super angry about the juiced ball thing. Like, look, you live and die by the long ball. You live and die by the long ball. And another team is going to come up in that conversation a little bit later. Um, But yeah, the Twins just really looked out of place in this series. And I was honestly pretty surprised. They looked like the Cleveland team last year um, when Cleveland lost in the first round of the ALDS, just like looked like the same thing. Now, what's wild to me is that the Central Division, for the most part, is the most competitive for all intents and purposes. Um, but because there's only really two teams competing for that top spot, um, you're not facing stiff competition most of the time. And the competition that you're facing is basement competition. You're talking Royals and you're talking Tigers. And who am I missing here? Um, is that it? There's another team. 
and I'm I'm completely blanking on who it is. Yeah, I, I sorry to everybody that's yelling at me through your headphones right now, but I'm this is how non-competitive it is. I can't think of the last team. Uh but perhaps the biggest surprise in this series was the was the New York pitching staff which after a rocky start to the season limited the record-setting Twins offense to four home runs, seven RBI, seven RBI, and a 2.18 team batting average across three games. It was a team effort for the New York staff with no single pitcher racking up more than five innings pitched in the series. Now, who does that also sound like? It sounds like the Tampa Bay Rays, who I will get to in just one moment. I do want to make one uh, comment um, first of all, here's my, I want to say a positive and I want to say a negative about the Yankees because here's the thing. I'm somebody that was raised in baseball in a particular way. I was not raised a Yankee fan. I had a Yankee hat when I was a kid because I really loved the movie Stand By Me. And also the history of the Yankees is pretty deep. However, I am somebody who just, I can't do it, man. I cannot do it. I just can't do it. There's not going to be a time that I'm going to cheer for that team. I just can't. You guys have 27 rings I, I just, I can't feel sorry for you. You are never going to be the underdog. It's just never going to happen. I'll start with the negative so that we can end on a positive in this particular section. Apparently, Aroldis Chapman had a bandaged up throwing hand after the celebration in the clubhouse because he cut it on a champagne bottle or something. It was baseball Twitter conversation for at least 24 hours, and I was trying to figure out some clever way to say to say this on Twitter, and then I decided, you know what, this isn't a thing to say on Twitter, it's a thing to say on your baseball podcast, which is, it saddened me to hear how much specificity we got into with uh, Aroldis Chapman's potential throwing hand injury in a 24-hour period than we did with his domestic violence charges, which, by the way, were pretty heinous. You know, we kind of, and I, I, I bang this drum on here all the time, so I'm not going to go into it super deep. I feel like everybody that listens to this podcast is on the same page, so I don't need to get anybody raged up. However, the man unloaded a, like, discharged a firearm towards another human being out of anger at a party in a garage. Like, this is not, these are not, like, mistakes. These are not... I mean, it is a mistake. These are not things that, like, whoopsie-daisy, this could be misinterpreted. This is, like, this is some severe violence where someone could have been fatally injured, you know? Fatally injured. And, like, these are the kinds of things that really bum me out about men's professional sports, but professional sports in general. It just super bums me out where the focus goes and what's important, and it's it's a real bummer. And I I will say that it... Aroldis Chapman being on the Yankees makes it incredibly hard for me to give a shit about the Yankees. It truly does. I, you know, he was, he already has a World Series win with the Chicago Cubs. And so if that dude is on the mound, he wasn't on the mound when they won that one, but he was on the mound for the game. Um, And if that dude is on the mound for that shit, I mean, I, yeah, I just, bummer. So here's the, the one the the other the good spot that I would say first of all I'm very happy for Gio Urshela he was somebody that came up through the Cleveland organization played really well for us 
And I'm happy to see him flourishing on a team that's using him well. You know, he's a good dude. He's I don't know if he's a good dude, but I like his style of play. He's solid. He's a great third baseman. So I'm happy for him to be on a team that's making it. And then also just finally, DJ LeMayhew. I'm just really happy for that guy. He Watching him play, he looks like a blossoming flower. It's like pretty wild to see somebody go from a team where like he was a hometown favorite but as Ben and Adam and Andrew all said last week he was being underused and they just weren't there was a a tweet that came out about him recently saying like when he sat down in the front offices when he was hired by the Yankees they said this is what you do this is what we want you to do and he said he felt free and like that's just cool shit man that's what I like about baseball is when somebody gets to be the player that they were always intended to be. Like, not everybody hits for power. Not everybody crushes home runs. Not everybody does this. The dude is a gold glove, like, situational hitter. What more could you ask for in a second baseman, in a utility infielder? What more could you ask for? You can't. So I'm happy for that dude. I'm happy for Gio Urshela. And I mean, Glaber Torres too. Like he's just like got a mentality that's that's pretty rad to watch. So there's positive stuff. I, I don't want to be all negative on any one thing, um, but you know, I've got a hard time cheering for that team. But there are some dudes on that team that I that I am happy for. How I and we'll we'll get into predictions after that. Um, and then let's just go into the the other American League Division series, the Astros, the Houston Astros at Tampa Bay Rays. The series is now tied at two. Which could anyone have predicted this? Maybe me, and I didn't do that. So whatever. Um, the Astros cruised to a two zero lead behind dominant pitching for performances from Justin Verlander. He had eight strikeouts and zero earned runs in seven innings. And Garrett Cole, he had fifteen Ks, which I believe is a record, uh, a playoff postseason record. Zero earned runs in 7.2 innings and a sweep seemed imminent but then the Rays bats came alive hammering out a 10-3 win in game three and a 4-1 win in game four both uh, both of which I watched um fantastic games to watch uh Tommy Pham in particular has been a bright spot in the Rays offense hitting 412 in the series with a home run. I also want to give a shout out to that relay throw in uh, game four. I think it was the sixth or seventh to get Altuve of every of anybody at home to nab Altuve at home from center field. That relayed to Adamas, who then came up to bat and hit a cranked a dinger. If there, if that's not a thing you want to see happen in in baseball in general, but in postseason play, for somebody to make a tremendous defensive play like that, I mean, you couldn't have written up a more beautiful. It was Kevin Kiermeyer, I believe, to Willie Adamas at short, the cutoff to home, just a just a seed to Travis Darno, to a perfect tag at play. I mean, it just was perfect. You couldn't you couldn't do it better. Um, to see that and then see Adamas come up and, and crank a home run, you know, it just, it was wild. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to see Verlander versus Scherzer in a, in a, in a closer situation because I think Scherzer wins that one, but I don't know that that's the matchup that we're going to get. Um, and game five will be played today. If this podcast goes up today, it'll either be played today or it happened yesterday and I know what happens um, with Garrett Cole taking them out for the Astros and Tyler Glasnow for the Rays. 
I don't want to skip over Charlie Morton. I missed most of his performance in that game. Charlie Morton has something going on that I just think is absolutely wonderful. A rebirth of a pitcher. He was on the mound when the Astros won, and now he's like determined to get these rays back there where he's been. And I just think it's pretty wonderful. And I, I you, you guys know, I've been into the rays this whole season I like seeing this small ball. I like seeing them. I mean, they've, they're cranking dingers too, but they're also not afraid to put the ball in play. And G-Man Choi, let's give G-Man Choi some, I mean, he walked how many times? Three or four times, and then he made two stellar plays at first base, just line drives, double play. That's some, I mean, that's some shit, man. Defense wins ball games. Defense wins ball games. So we've got the Yankees awaiting either the Astros or the Rays, I think either way, the Yankees are my favorite in this one. But either way, I think we're going to have an exciting AL- ALCS. And I think it goes to seven. And I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty great. So let's move on to the National League. And we'll go with Atlanta and St. Louis. <laughs> the Cardinals win it 3-2. to two. After a tightly fought 2-2 series that included two games decided by one run and no games decided by more than three. Think about that. The Cardinals blew things open in the top of the first in game five by scoring a playoff record 10 runs. They ended up winning the game 13-1. I have to say I watched most of that. I could not believe what was happening and none of that was on home runs. All of that was small ball, Cardinals baseball. They scored on a pat on a dropped third strike. They scored a run on a dropped third strike. Now, when I was watching the game, here's the beauty of baseball. I wasn't really rooting for either side in this matchup. I was kind of like, whatever. I didn't really care. Um, I mean, like, I cared because I was interested in it. But um, I didn't really care. You know, I have a, a good friend, friend of the show, David Perdue. Um, feel so incredibly sad for him. Now, we have the uh, the issue of the tomahawk chop, which I will get to at the end of the episode. Right now, I'm just talking about the game, and I'm talking about people who love their team. Um, I just, he was almost speechless. We were texting with each other, and he just didn't know what to say. And I was like, I get it, man, I get it. And um, I I will say, here's the thing about watching that game. Best time to be down by 10 runs? Top of the first. <laughs> I mean, that's the real of it. If you're going to be down by 10 runs, do it with nine innings left. You know? Do it with 24 outs left. Because that's a hell of a thing to pitch with a 10-run lead and try to keep the mentality of a two-run lead. It's a hell of a thing. You could do it. it. Clearly, it didn't happen. But it was possible. Nothing is outside the realm of, of possibility when you're playing baseball is the thing. Anything can happen. Um, Atlanta hit well in the series, but struggled to produce runs. This was painfully obvious in Game 4, in which they hit well enough for a romp, but ended up with a loss. Atlanta stranded the bases loaded in both the 6th and 7th innings of Game 4, and in the ninth and 10th innings of that game, Atlanta made 4 outs on balls that left the bat at 100 miles per hour or greater. This season, Major League hitters batted 636 on balls with that degree of exit velocity. Atlanta also wasted a leadoff triple in the 7th and a leadoff double in the ninth, both off the bat of Ronald Acuna Jr. Jr. 
The Cardinals enjoyed monster series from offseason acquisition Paul Goldschmidt. He hit 429 with two dingers. And Marcel Ozuna, he also hit 429 with two dingers and five RBI. And two big turn-back-the-clock hits from Yadier Molina in Game 4, including a walk-off sacrifice fly. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as you win the game. You know what I mean? So we got the Cardinals moving on to the National League Championship Series. I mean, it's not what I thought was going to happen, but I do believe I said at some point, watch out for the Cardinals. They don't give up is the thing. And I think that, I think that is... That is the thesis of this postseason. Don't give up. And you can give up in a lot of ways. You can give up while you're winning. And that leads me to... Now, if you were an Atlanta fan or a Cardinals fan, you're probably like, no, our game was this. Now, I attended this game in person. So I have a lot of feelings about this game because I was there to watch it happen. I also, I didn't watch any exit interviews. I read them. I haven't watched any analysis because I just, I don't know what to do about it yet. But, um, holy shit. The Dodgers versus Nationals. The Nationals win three to two. The Nationals won game five in Los Angeles on a 10th inning grand slam by utility position player and 13-year veteran Howie Kendrick, who also had... Uh, off the top of my head, at least three errors that seemed like they were going to cost the Nationals the series at some po- at one point. Uh, Kendrick's grand slam came after the Dodgers blew a two-run lead in the eighth inning, which they had from the third inning on, on consecutive home runs by Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto, which I believe were on three pitches. Uh, and both off of Clayton Kershaw, who was brought into the game in relief of Walker Bueller, who pitched a hell of a game, a hell of a game. And despite solid series from Justin Turner, he got two home runs and five RBI, and Max Muncie, three home runs, seven RBI, and big contributions from Kike Hernandez hitting 429, and David Fries, who hit 500 off the bench, several of the Dodger big bats went absolutely quiet in the series. Most notably, of course, MVP frontrunner Cody Bellinger, who batted 211 in the series with no home runs and 7Ks. Overall, the Dodgers struck out 64 times in the five-game series. A.J. Pollock led the way with 11Ks and 13 at-bats. I gotta say, now, I said this on Twitter, um... Now, I'm not saying, like, this was the game loser. I just feel like this is the most egregious, and perhaps it is for the conversation about firing Dave Roberts. The pinch hitting of A.J. Pollock in the bottom to lead off the bottom of the 10th, when I feel like every human being in that stadium knew it was over, that is why it is, to me, the most egregious, because we knew it was over, and you put a nail in the coffin by pinch hitting. Pinch hit Russell Martin at this point of the game. You know what I mean? Like, Russell Martin, who won a game for us, uh, like, I just, he's right-handed. Like, I said, essentially, do I do I think 
Jack Peterson hits a dinger to get us within three to lead off the game in a lefty-lefty matchup against a fresh Sean Doolittle? Maybe. Do I know A.J. Pollock goes down swinging? Absolutely. And that choice is exactly why Dave Roberts cannot be the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers next season. And if he is, and also, I'm already done. Like, I'm just going to be painfully and just rigorously honest here. I'm, I can't do it. I, I'm done. I'm done. I'll go to games because it's a great stadium to go to, but I'm done. Like, I, I literally have a pile of stuff that I'm going to box up. And, like, I'm keeping it because, like, it's a time in my life that I enjoy. I've had a good time being a Dodger fan and rooting for this team. I'm not from here. I wasn't raised here. I wasn't raised a Dodger fan. I was a reluctant fan to begin with going to these games. Like, I just felt weird about it. And it grew on me. And I had a good time. And I like a lot of these players. Like, I think Kike is a good dude. But, uh... I'm done. last night that game was I, I people have asked me what it was like and I just go I just say macabre like the feeling when those two home runs I don't even remember it seeing it happen I think I went to the bathroom and I came back or something and like it was like it wasn't silent in there but it was the closest thing you could have to silence in a baseball stadium people were just talking to each other People weren't screaming. People weren't making noise. And, like, after those home runs, I really felt like it was over. And even when Will Smith came five feet from winning the game, it didn't feel... It just... I can't even... I can't even describe it to you right now. Because I. it's like... I'm not mad. I'm not even sad. It's just like... And, and I say all this, and I will get to it. I do not want to diminish what the Nationals did, because they did do something. They didn't fumble into this win, by any means. However, this this particular game was another... I, I, just, just, just continual... I cannot believe these choices that were made. I just cannot believe the choices that were made. Um, the big narrative here, which I'm getting into, is that the Dodgers... The managerial mishaps of Dave Roberts, particularly in the decisive innings of Game 5, after Kershaw earned the final out of the seventh, it seemed like Roberts had a pretty clear path to victory. He could deploy Kenta Maeda in the eighth, who was throwing well. And some he threw well in that rain game. After that rain game that, we, that the Dodgers lost, I did not feel like, oh boy. I also went into this game knowing full well we might lose it. And I was prepared for a loss, but I was not prepared for this kind of a loss, is the thing. I was prepared for the Dodgers to go home packing, truly, because I was seeing what the Nationals were doing, and I was seeing what they looked like in their dugout, and I was seeing what was going on. They were playing light-footed. When they were losing, they didn't get, they didn't put their head in the dirt, and they did not let off the gas. That is the other thing that, that is what I was getting to with the giving up. The Dodgers let off the gas. They got three runs, and they they left 13 on base. 13 on base. So he could deploy 
Kenta Maeda in the eighth, and some combination of Joe Kelly and or Kenley Jansen in the ninth. He also had some excellent specialty options in Pedro Baez, who did not who did not throw well in the rain, but I think last night would have thrown well, and against whom right-handers hit 172 this season. Rendon is, re- is a righty, and Adam Kalarik, the left-hander whose primary job all season, not season, all series, had been to get Juan Soto out. But instead of doing any of that, Roberts kept both Kershaw and Kelly in the game long after they had served their primary function. And between the two of them, they gave up six earned runs on three home runs. And if that wasn't enough, to go back to my earlier point, Roberts also pinch hit A.J. Pollock to lead off the 10th inning. Sorry, I had to stop and get a package real quick, so my tone is going to be so abruptly different. I want to let everybody know that's what happened. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he also pinch hit A.J. Pollock to lead off the 10th inning. Pollock responded with his 11th strikeout of the series. I just, again, could have put Russell Martin in there. I I like I just none of these decisions and I've said this for years. I've been doing this podcast now for 2 years this way for 3 years period. I I have never wanted to be a person who's like I'm a better manager, but like literally everyone in the stadium, everyone at Dodger Stadium was like why? There was a man behind me that w- when Pollock struck out, he was like like, we didn't know that was going to happen. And the way he said it was just like ev- what everybody was thinking. Not a single person in there. After those two back-to-back home runs, everybody knew it was over. Which is sad. You know? It's just a sad feeling. And, like, if you hate the Dodgers, get enjoyment out of that. But what I'm trying to talk about is something bigger than any one team. It just was, like, this experience that I have never had before. And like, ugh, I never want to feel that way again. It was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I was there with some really good friends and I had a great time with them, but like, wow. And there was like an assault outside of the stadium. There was like a pool of blood and I think like a little kid got hit by an adult. I saw a guy in handcuffs. There was a helicopter over it, like an LAPD copter saying like, collect your belongings and leave. It sounded like RoboCop. It was just like the whole thing was super dystopian and just creepy and like everything was quiet in this. It it just, it just was, ugh. It was just not cool. It was not good. And it was not, like I said, like I'm, I can, I can, I can deal with a loss. I can deal with fighting for something and somebody fighting a little bit harder than you. But this was not a fight. This was not a fight. This was just a concession. And it was just it was just pathetic, you know? And I'm like I'm like honestly like embarrassed to have been a to I don't know. I just don't even know what to say. I'm happy to live in the city that I live in and like whatever. Woof. I just don't even know what to say anymore. But like I don't know that you're going to see me in a Dodger hat for a minute. <laughs> and uh Tellison Jeans is going to be pretty stoked about that. But um, I've got my Fort Wayne Wizards hat and my death hat. Like, I'm good to go. And, like, I, my team won a World Series last year. Like, honestly, I think that's probably it for me, which is a wild way to think. And, like, it's not like I have no hope. It's just, like, 
I honestly look at the future of my fandom of this game and I just don't see myself. I think that that is the truth and that's okay. I'm also like not, you know, I'm willing to be open to the fact that I might watch a team that I love win a world series, but um, it's not happening this year. And I, I don't think it's going to happen next year either. I just don't know how, I don't know how you don't make it past the NLDS with 106 wins. I just, other than making some of the worst managerial choices you'll ever make in your career. And, like, I know a lot of people are very upset with Kershaw. I I have a lot of empathy for that guy. I think, I don't know this whole story. Someone will probably write a, a, an editorial about it. it. We will read about it in some magazine at some point. But, um, and I was texting with friend of the show, Adam Conover, about, like, the Bueller... Kershaw stuff and like it just you know there's an amount where it feels like Kershaw wanted his fingerprints on it and I don't know I don't know but he's not the dude he's just not the dude and Dave Roberts made some of the worst decisions I've ever seen a human being make period baseball anything um I just it was a confounding thing to witness and uh this is what happens when you swing for the fences you strike out 64 times in five games. That's what happens. If you're not willing to put the ball in play, get on base, and hustle, if the only plan is to hit the ball out, this is what happens. And ironically, you lose by three dudes hitting the ball out. I mean, that's the beautiful irony of this game, is that they lost on the long ball, too. So I do want to spend maybe not equal time, but an amount of time... Um, you know, saying like, congrats to the Nationals. The on the Nationals side, the victory over the Dodgers was the culmination of an incredible midseason turnaround. As late as May twenty third, the Nationals were twelve, twelve games under five hundred, and their playoff odds were three percent. They ended the season twenty four games over five hundred with a, a hundred and forty nine plus run differential. The key players in the series for the Nationals were Anthony Rendon, third baseman, uh, who I know to be a tremendous hitter. I had him last season in fantasy baseball and was bummed to not nab him this year. Adam Caton Holland had him. He hit 412 with one home run and five RBI. Juan Soto, who hit 278 with two homers and four RBI. Steven Strasburg with 17 Ks in 12 innings pitched. And Max Scherzer with 10 Ks in eight innings pitched with a 1.13 ERA plus big hits from Adam Eaton, Ryan Zimmerman, and, of course, Howie Kendrick. And I, I, I think the one person who's not mentioned in this key players in the series because he perhaps didn't necessarily win the games in any way, but I do want to say congrats to Sean Doolittle because I do know that this game, and it, it goes back to some stuff that we were talking about earlier, and, and Jose uh, uh, Urias, oh, I don't know why his first name is... is escaping me right now because I don't like him. Um, but I'm glad, you know, that guy's not going to be in a World Series. Like, I, I can be very honest as a as a fan of that team that I was bummed, Julio Urias, to see him there and to have it just brushed under the rug. And I know that the Dodgers have serious and erroneous and egregious clubhouse problems. And so I can just be free of that. But the person that I do know who is a stand-up guy, who is kind, who is trying to do his best who does his best, who shows up for the LGBTQ community in a place where not a lot of guys want to do that, 
or are openly against it um, is Sean Doolittle. And I do want to say congrats to that guy because he's a kind person. He's an open person. And like, he is one of the few stand up guys in this thing that I love that I, that I knowingly love knowing that there's not a lot of stand up people in it and knowing that a lot of them have a problem with me as a person and they don't even know me. Um, I am grateful that there's somebody like that in baseball period and if somebody had to be on the mound when my team lost in a sort of like spiritually shattering, potentially kind of way, I'm glad that it was him, you know? And honestly, Max Scherzer, like, I love that guy. He, like, he wants that, he wants to win. He, I didn't see, I didn't see anybody in the Dodgers clubhouse with that. Nobody was coming even close to what Max Scherzer was bringing to this these five games. You can't take the ball away from him. And it's not a, it's it's you know, it's just like he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And I respect the hell out of that. And he's got a daughter that he cares about. I don't know what his thoughts are on the <laughs> LGBTQ community. I I respect the shit out of a dude that is like there for it. That's like this is it. This is all we've got. So let's do it. Um, you know, you got to have a Jason Hayward speech. You got to show up. And the Dodgers didn't show up. They didn't show up. They've got their fancy cars and their necklaces and they live in this city and whatever. I don't know what it was, but it sucked. And I don't, I don't want to, I can't do it anymore. So as a baseball fan, as like a Dodger fan, former or whatever, um, Congrats to the Nationals on an incredible performance on not giving up. They did not give up. They did not concede defeat. After losing, after the Dodgers put up seven runs in a single inning, they did not give up. They continued to show up to the ballpark. And that's what paid off. That is what paid off. They didn't give up. They did not give up. And the Dodgers were not pitching like they had a three-run lead. Well, Walker Bueller did. Walker Bueller did. But uh, nobody else was really playing. And I mean, Kike Hernandez had a tremendous catch. So did Cody Bellinger. Like, those uh, those were two great things to watch live. It was pretty amazing, actually. But, um, yeah, the Nationals showed up. The Dodgers did not. I think they expected to win. I think they expected to have an easy road. And they didn't. And their manager made it even harder for them. So, um, I think... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say about the division series, and I guess I would just get to the um, big questions moving forward. Uh, I think that, yes, the Yankees are the clear World Series favorite at this point. I'm curious to see how all of this plays out. I think, I think either the Nationals or the Cardinals can take either the Astros or the Yankees and like, fuck, I would love to see the Rays do this, pull this out. But I do think we're going to get at least a six-game World Series. That's my one prediction that I can give you. Because I think, you know, here's the, here's the bright side as a Dodger fan. I don't have to watch them lose the World Series again because they would have lost the World Series. That is one thing that I could put money on. They would have lost the World Series. And it would have been their third World Series loss in a row. So at least that's something I don't have to see. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think, you know, I, the, 
bench coach Brett has a bunch of big questions, but I've already been talking for an hour and I, I feel like I've answered like all of these questions, but, um, what happens to Dave Roberts now? I mean, I, he signed a four-year extension before the season. And is there any chance the team parts ways with him in the off season? I feel like there's no way you cannot. However, I think they probably keep him. Uh, personally, I say goodbye and say hello, Joe Girardi. But um, I don't see them doing that anytime soon. They they signed a contract and they've committed to this. And I, I, if if that's what the way that they go, which is they keep him and that's the way they keep going, I, goodbye. I'm done. Um, I can't do it anymore, and I'm not... Uh, no thanks. I can't do it. Um, and, like, let's see, which teams, players, and trends surprised you the most in the division series? I mean, I would say this has been all surprises, you know, with the exception of the Yankees. But, I mean, the Yankees even had surprises in their pitching. I think, you know, the Twins underperforming the way that they did was a a pretty big shock. I thought they would at least put up a fight with the Yankees, which they did not. Um, I think the Cardinals small ball has been a surprise, but not a shock. And I think that the way the Dodgers lost last night is, is my biggest surprise. I'm not surprised again that they lost. It's the way that they lost, which also ultimately probably in a week from now, I'll look at as absolutely par for the course. Um, because that's how they would have lost the world series if they made it there. Um, uh, but I mean, I think you know DJ Lemayhew, Glaber Torres, uh, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon. None of these are surprises. If you're paying attention, you know that these things were just waiting to happen. But Steven Strasburg's performance in what was that game two was pretty tremendous. Um, so, also just one thing to go into: several sports scientists, including former guest Dr. Meredith Wills have confirmed that the MLB is using a deadened ball in the postseason, which is crazy. Studies have shown that the balls have had a much higher drag coefficient in the postseason than in the rest of 2019. Um, Weather and temperature are not enough of a factor to explain this. And based on a combination of exit velocity, launch angle, and park factors, baseball prospectus writer Rob Arthur demonstrated that home runs have been 50% less likely in the first round of the postseason than they were in the regular season. 50%. Which teams have been most impacted by this change? I would say the Los Angeles Dodgers. And how is this allowed to happen? I don't know, because it's all collusion. Like, I know I sound like I have a tinfoil hat on, but like, man, this is a TV show. It's a TV show. If you go back and you look at the MLB Twitter, when Clayton Kershaw came in, they said, is there better television than October baseball? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. These are TV producers. They want a result. They want the Yankees in the World Series. And ideally, they wanted the Los Angeles Dodgers because those are the two biggest cities in the United States. So that gets the most views right off the bat. And like, part of me wants a Nats Rays World Series just to say F you to the MLB and like the the executives because they're going to get so many fewer eyeballs. Who's going to care? Outside of baseball, not a lot. You know, they've been lucky to have in the past three World Series, they had Cleveland and Chicago, two two of the longest droughts in baseball. Then they had the Dodgers and the Astros. The Astros are this upstart team destined to win. The Dodgers have a tremendous series in 2017. And you've got a huge market and a small market, but also the Bushes. And you've got a team that was destined to win this World Series. And then they do it. And it's a seven-game series. 
Then you have the Dodgers coming back for, you know, to, to reclaim this glory. And you have the Boston Red Sox, huge baseball fandom there, huge sports mythology. And I mean, the Dodgers get blown out, but you got a lot of people watching it. So this year, I mean, already on the on the National League side, no offense to you if you are a fan of either of these teams, these are not teams that the MLB is excited about, probably. And then on the American League team, they are all praying for the Yankees. So I don't know, man. I'm not totally sure. I don't know. I, I do think that the Nationals and the Cardinals series is going to be exciting because I think it's going to be a nail. I think it's going to go to seven. I think you're going to get two uh, seven-game championship series, and I think you're going to get a minimum of six games out of the World Series. So at least they've got a lot of ad time running, you know? Um, And, like, for the first time, I'm, like, not that excited about a World Series. Um, And I'm sorry to admit that, but it's just the truth. (laughs) Um, And so to end this episode, I wanted to cover outside of covering the actual game, because I just wanted to focus on the actual game, um, the Tomahawk Chop, an important subplot of the Atlanta Cardinals series, is that the Atlanta franchise finally admitted, or more accurately conceded under pressure, that the Tomahawk Chop cheer is offensive to Native people and took steps to discourage its use during Game 5. This only happened after St. Louis Cardinals rookie pitcher Ryan Helsley, who is a member of the Cherokee Nation, called the chop disrespectful. I also want to point out that in his interview, he said he did not want to get political. And I do think that that's an important thing for someone like him to say, because he's speaking as a human being when he says, I don't want to get political, but it is disrespectful. He is a member of the Cherokee Nation, and for him to say it's disrespectful carries importance, a specific amount of importance. Now, are there people who are members of the Cherokee Nation who are not offended by it? Absolutely. But I just want to take a moment to say that someone who is affected by this directly, that is to say someone who is a native person, an indigenous person, a member of the Cherokee Nation, is on record. And not only is he a person who is indigenous to this country, he is a person who plays National League Baseball. So he's not just some PC social justice warrior. He is quite literally a person who is affected by this in every facet of his being. It's his job and it's his heritage. And he said it's disrespectful. I think we can stop arguing whether it is or is not. I think that is one thing that we can stop doing. So now when you do it, you know what it is. There's just no getting around it. There just isn't. There just isn't. And for some historical perspective on just how disrespectful the Tomahawk Chop is, the ethnic cleansing referred to as the Cherokee removal originated just two hours north of Atlanta in Dallanega, Georgia in 1828 after gold was discovered there. There's something else that I haven't mentioned in this full conversation from the beginning of this podcast to this right now is that all of this, all of this, sitting in a luxury box, saying let's be kind to others who disagree with our beliefs, all of it comes down to money. And what was the first kind of money in this country? Gold. During the Cherokee removal, Tens of thousands of Cherokee people were forcibly removed from their homeland in North Georgia to make room for the burgeoning gold rush and were relocated west. 
approximately 2,000 to 8,000 of the 16,543 relocated Cherokee people perished along the way. The path they took later became known as the Trail of Tears. I do not think that there is anything more that we can say about this subject. I have talked about it. I have talked about it on almost every podcast that I possibly can. There's nothing more to say. It's over. It's done. It is holding space for the truth. There's nothing... I can, there, there are no edges I can round down to that. 2,000 to 8,000. And this kind of thing is happening right now. It's happening on the border of this country. It's happening in other countries that we forced... That, that You know. You know. You're watching. You're paying attention. You're listening to this podcast. So I ask of you today... How can you be kind while not looking away? How can you be kind and have that kindness be for the other person and be for other people and not for yourself? How can you do that? What can you do in your day to make somebody's day a little bit better? Somebody who might have it a little worse than you or differently or something. What kind of good can you put into the world? Into the actual living, breathing world? It might even just be picking up trash in your neighborhood. Like one piece of trash. I don't know. But how can you put some good into the world that really helps other people? It doesn't have to be volunteering. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. You can quite literally be nice to somebody on the street. You can give a water bottle to somebody who's asking for change. There are small ways to do it, and these are the ways that we need to practice it every single day so that we don't forget the historical perspective of this country and what's happened in it and what continues to happen. But that's not all. You can't only know these awful things and live on them. You have to know them, and you have to practice the opposite on a daily basis. That's all I ask of you for this podcast. It truly is. This is just a dumb podcast about baseball where I, Rhea Butcher, long-suffering baseball fan, wax poetic about the bad choices and good choices about men's baseball and also women's baseball. It is a podcast about that, but it's also a podcast about something else. If baseball wants me miserable, how can I not be? What can I do to make other people feel a little less miserable? And in doing that, make myself feel a little less miserable. It's definitely not by ignorance. And it's definitely not by having a good time. It's by doing the most good. So, here we go into another World Series season. And this time, I'm going to be in town. And there's no games for me to go to. So... I wish all of you a wonderful postseason. I'm happy for everybody whose team is doing well. I'm sorry to everybody whose team did poorly. I think this is the year where I learned not to laugh at other people's failures. Unless they're a really awful person. So if you like this podcast, let somebody know about it. Um, that's the best way for this to grow. 
I would love to do more live episodes. Not sure if that's going to happen. But let people know if you like it. Um, not sure what we're going to do in the off season. That's something that's going to come up. But this is the postseason, and I'm going to keep covering it. I've committed to it, and I've done that. I want to say a shout-out to everybody who's worn Three Swings merch at postseason games. That's pretty cool. If you're a Yankee fan and you're into Three Swings, I will absolutely repost your fo- your photo of you at a Yankee game in a Three Swings shirt. Very happy to do that. Um, if you like the show, please rate and review it. Definitely subscribe if you can on whatever platform you listen to this on. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.